Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Michigan Avenue Media and the World of Ink Network. This podcast was founded in 2011 by Marsha Casper Cook and Virginia Grenier. Their focus has always been on helping writers reach their dreams by having informative and entertaining shows. You will also hear the latest information on what's new and exciting in the publishing and marketing industry. And the shows will also cover discussions on screenwriting, audiobooks and movies. New to the shows will be the latest style and trends in fashion, as well as nutrition and how Pinterest can add just the right spark of attention you may need for your projects. So, sit back and relax and enjoy the show. You can find out more information about our shows and being a guest at www.michiganavenuemedia.com. Well, hello, everybody. This is Virginia Grenier, um, and today I am joined by Jared Kwan. So welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So today's show is a little bit different than some of what we've been doing. I told Marsha I wanted to do some motivational um, shows here on the network uh, that would still help anybody who's into writing and getting published or um you know, just whatnot. But I feel like as writers, I think we focus a lot on our own personal um, selves and get very intro perspective um, on things. So I decided to talk about leadership. And so I I had Jared um, come as a guest because he is not only a published author um, in a few different genres, but he also has played a critical part in um, our Utah writing community and has been involved in various different things um, and has had leadership roles um, in those different um, community groups. So um, leadership is definitely a key thing, I think, as a writer, because you never know if you're going to just be doing more than sitting behind your computer typing out a great book. So, um, Jared, if if you don't mind sharing a little bit of about who you are and your background and kind of the different genres you write in and kind of what you've been involved in as a, as an author? For sure. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I work full time. Uh, I, I actually uh, drive Lyft even on top of writing books and I have five fantastic kids and a, an amazing wife. She's actually one of my secrets to my success. You know, uh, our communication support is key. Of course, uh, being able to accomplish everything that we do. But um, some of the inspiration that came from uh, me working so hard and even writing my books uh, was partially my, my kids. Uh, one's on the heart transplant list, and uh, <laughs> he was one of the reasons I wrote my book, Changing Wax, which I got into, which was great. And that book in particular is what started me um, getting more involved in the community. Once that book started taking off, uh, then I started getting um, invited to uh, Salt Lake Comic Con, uh, which is now FanX. Uh, and then I also got invited to participate in the Royce Jordan Arts Council. And from there, it started to kind of blossom up uh, both my writing and uh, the organizations I started to be a part of. Groups would all be able to see, like, resources that they lacked but didn't know how to get them into place. And so I started joining different groups from the League of Utah Writers, 
story makers, LTUE, um, <laughs> you know, FanX, <laughs> uh, TEDx. Like I, I'm involved in so many uh, really big projects. Oh yeah, the UVU Book Academy, which I'm on now. Um, but the the funnest part was, of course, being able to um, hear all the things and resources that people needed, and figuring out how to provide them. So. Yeah, um, that's a lot about uh, the different groups I'm involved in. But uh, I've written in, in genres from horror to comedy and uh, uh, even some uh, futuristic romance steampunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you've covered the gambit. It, it's, and I love how the fact that I have you on the show because Marsha and I have done a lot of things. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, how do you get so involved? I'm like, oh, we know people who have done a lot more than we have. <laughs> So that's why I'm glad to have you on here because, I mean, I, our listeners know I've done the book festival down here in southern Utah, but and I was uh, the chapter president for a writing guild down here. But you are way more involved being up in the heart of the writing community of Utah. So <laughs> um, I, think, I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot today from you. So um, I know before the show started, we were talking about how busy our lives are and how crazy it is. And I think that's one of the key things when you are in leadership roles, be it, you know, if you're the president of the organization all the way down to just somebody on a committee, um, is finding that balance. So I'm just kind of curious, what, how, what do you feel are, are some key things that people need to keep in mind when they're trying to find that harmony between work life, volunteering because a lot of times these are volunteer positions you're not being paid to be doing them or you get a you know Mm -hmm. a small stipend um type payment and then of course family life because i mean it's it's a lot of moving pieces in your life yes absolutely and that's um it's kind of funny i mean that's the number one question i get asked by people are like how do you do it um and i'm i'm super grateful I mean, one like I said, one of my secrets is my wife. <laughs> she she really pushes me, and she actually saw the vision of what I was capable of before I started really uh, seeing it for myself. But um, the the key, uh, of course, is communication uh, across uh, all of the different things, projects that I work on, family work. I uh, I over communicate. I learned uh, early that if I you know, let people know um, either expectations or um, if I can't make it to an event or a site, the soonest, if I let them know the soonest that I can, then mm-hmm. people are okay with that because we're all, we're all human. We all get it, right? When the yeah. responsibilities that need to get done and you're not able to do it, that's cool. But what I love is uh, in order to create that balance, it's really setting expectations between the different organizations uh, and uh, family life. So for my wife and I, we sit down and we have a shared calendar, which has probably saved my life a million times. So our calendars sync on our phones. <laughs> so we sit down and plot out our family activities and events. Because for me, it's, it's family first, of course. I'm a very uh, strong believer in family first in that relationship. Because as you know, when you get really involved, suddenly you don't have enough time for family sometimes. And it can mm-hmm. it can cause complications, um, oh, yeah. which can be awful. So yeah, sitting down, um, planning out like our events, putting them on the calendars, uh, and then when I go to my board meetings, I'm like, hey, can you run this project, or can you be to this event on this day? I'm able to pull up my calendar and say, 
I can't on that day, but I can on this day. And then they're like, oh, okay. Uh, and then I'm able to add it to the calendar. And then my wife, who might be at a doctor's appointment for my son or, you know, um, <laughs> planning parent-teacher conferences, uh, and she's like, she can pull up the same calendar on her phone and goes, oh, he's busy on this day. Yes, I'm sending him to parent-teacher conference on that day, on the other day, <laughs> right, so that we don't yeah. double book. It really helps simplify so that, uh, so that it ensures that we have, I have enough time for the family. I spend quality time with the family, but I also set the right expectations with the organizations I participate in so that they know um, exactly what's going to be, uh, what I can do, what I can't do. And that actually has made things um, really cool uh, between everybody. It allows me to take on a lot more projects because of that setting expectation. So, yeah, communication is one of the secrets and shared calendars. I recommend investing in them. <laughs> yeah, no. And I was going to say, and that goes right into one of the, the qualities that I hear that a great leader needs to have is having that clear focus um, and organization um, to do the job. So what, what other things would you say would fit into having clear focus and um, organization to as a leader to, to be successful in, in doing the different things that you're doing day to day? Great question. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Uh, because each organization have a, has a different focus, <laughs> uh, different mm. objectives. Um, you're right. I mean, keeping focus on, on the individual uh, group or task at hand and making sure that you're, um, you're doing a, a good service. Uh, I actually plan out an extra five or ten minutes before meetings. And, and I learned this from uh, one of my uh, good friends, Tara, left. She was like, Hey, just take a couple extra minutes. She actually has a thing on her phone where it randomly rings a bell to remind her mm-hmm. to stop and think. <laughs> it's a mindfulness bell, I think it's called. Just to think for a second. Oh, okay. Not to take your situation too seriously and step back for a second and take a look at it. So what I do before my meetings is I always uh, plan an extra five or ten minutes. I think through things. I try to make sure that I, I, I covered everything. And then I utilize Trello, um, uh, which is a free tool anybody can use. And uh, and on Trello, I'm able to map out what I need to be doing, what my focus needs to be. So I get my five minutes to think about things. I get my five minutes to look at uh, that schedule so that um, I know what's going on. I look at my Trello to see what's coming up next. And then I go into the meeting. And that gives me a lot of very clear focus and direction. That and um, having amazing people, uh, being willing to delegate to people, understanding they're human, and, and then uh, being able to work with so many amazing people helps every, everybody stay focused and stay on task. Yeah, and I agree because I know it's really hard. My, my husband used to always um, tease me and tell me that um, when, well, especially when it came to like the weeks leading up to a big event, he's like, okay, it's time for you to start herding those cats. And, you know, it was basically because he knew I had to keep that, that focus and, and the organization, because if I failed, then it's that trickle down effect where everybody else starts going, oh, well, you know, if it's not important to her, then it doesn't even important to me. And then next thing you know, the dominoes start, dominoes start falling 
and everything becomes chaos and crazy. And then I feel like, you know, you're running around with your head cut off, which is not a good thing either. (laughs) (laughs) And then that makes everybody, of course, freak out, Um, which comes back to, you know, and and you mentioned this earlier about, you know, having great communication and and when you're in meetings and stuff, when you look at your calendar, like, hey, I can't do it this day, but I can do it this day. Um, I feel like integrity and honesty is also very important when you're in a leadership position. Like I said, again, it doesn't matter if you're the top guy or the bottom guy in the leadership, you know, hierarchy. Um, I feel like those are two really key things. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about that? Like where you've, you've seen it in action and when you've seen where someone isn't and how it can cause issues. Oh yeah, Absolutely. I am uh, a firm believer in keeping my word. <laughs> I mean, situations happen where you might have to um, be put at a place where you can't accomplish a task and you let people know that. But o- ownership is huge. You know, uh, keeping to your word um, and being in, uh, owning your actions, um, that's what makes a difference. Uh, a good meeting and a great meeting or a good writing conference or a great writing conference is when people show up and uh, they live up to their expectation and we're all on the same page. But there's nothing more killer than when you have an amazing volunteer who is dedicated and passionate and volunteers for a bunch of stuff but then doesn't show up Mm -hmm. Um, and then doesn't take ownership that they didn't show up. And then it causes, you know, frustrations. And plus somebody had to cover that task. And then it, it causes inconveniences across the board and can, can and cascade into multiple problems, uh, which which can be very frustrating. Um, and one of the events that I showed up to, uh, I volunteered for, uh, was the uh, Give Conference, which is uh, put on by the Forever Young Foundation, Steve Young's Foundation. Mm-hmm. Amazing conference. They brought together nonprofits and governments and business leaders to talk together to figure out how they could work better together. And when I showed up to volunteer for the conference, the volunteer corner was frazzled because half the volunteers didn't show up that had signed up. Now, everybody who runs a volunteer organization knows that there's a percentage of volunteers that aren't going to show up. That's, you hope that they all show up, but you just know that some won't. But mm-hmm. in her situation, like, half had not never happened to her before. And uh, the commitment was that I would volunteer for a day, and then the second day I would get for free, you know, just to go to attend the conference as a volunteer. And and I told her uh, straightforward, like, I didn't mind volunteering the rest of the time because I knew from personal experience being a leader over a conference what that looks like. So I said, mm-hmm. whatever you need from me, you know, I will absolutely help out. And so I did. I ran all over the place. And uh, I wore my patented suit. If anybody looks me up online, you see I wear a suit just about everywhere. So I was wearing (laughs) a suit, and I was running around all over the place. And on the second day, as it was concluding, um, I was, like, running these banners upstairs to to this big gala that they were going to have. And uh, this individual got into the elevator and just said, hey, you've been everywhere. I feel like I should know who you are. (laughs) I'm like, I'm just a volunteer. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm not important. You know, I'm just happy to be here. And they're like, wow, okay. Got up, put the put the banners up. And then after the, the big uh, gala banquet, um, the volunteer coordinator, she went out of her way. She's like, here, you've got to meet the chairman of the foundation. And that's the guy who was in the elevator. Oh, she wow. Said to him, 
Jared volunteered for both days. He didn't have to. And he went way above what a regular volunteer would even do. And she goes, he was a lifesaver at the conference. And I was like, well, I was just happy to be here. <laughs> you know, I was just yeah. I was happy to have the opportunity to help out because I know. I know. And uh, and because of that instance, the, the chairman said, look, um, I, I would love for you to be more involved. I'd love for you to, to do more with us. You know, we have a golf tournament coming up. We'd love for you to help um, volunteer at that. So now I've been more involved with the uh, Forever Young Foundation, uh, working their golf tournaments and their nonprofit uh, activities. And that's because, you know, I had the opportunity because people didn't show up. But I also took ownership for myself because I could have easily said, well, it's not my responsibility that they didn't show right. up, Right. Well, and I would but, say you also yeah. showed hu- I would say you also showed humility too when someone's like, "Oh, I feel like I should know who you are." You're like, "No, I'm just here trying to do a job and be helpful." And I think that that says a lot too because I think sometimes people volunteer for things because they want to be like, "Look at me, look at me," versus having the humility that you definitely showed in this situation. Yeah, and I I uh, had a class called Guerrilla Marketing. That recorded. You can find it on YouTube. And uh, in there, when I talk about volunteering, because I feel like it's such an vital vital point. If you're successful, I recommend. You know, I ask, I, I plead with them to volunteer because giving back means so much. But when you're volunteering and you're starting out, you can definitely tell the difference between the volunteers who are just happy to be there and the volunteers who are using it as a, a mechanism to to promote their career. And I tell mm-hmm. people in that. And in that training, I'm like, look, you know, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about doing a, you know, being of a great service. And I said, and people know this. And when they see that you're working really hard to be a great service to them, people will do anything for you. Like they'll bend over backwards to make sure you're successful and you're recognized. I said, you don't need to do that yourself. And it makes you seem really selfish when you're like, I wrote this book. You should look me up. <laughs> now I tell people yeah. at, at conferences and things when they volunteer, um, I tell people, hey, don't just go say this is what I do. I tell people, people are going to ask. People are just genuinely curious, like, what makes you tick? Uh, what mm-hmm. do you do? And I'm like, then it's okay for you to say, I'm a writer. I've written this book, um, but I'm just happy to be here. And then you you're able to accomplish everything by by just being genuinely nice person and and humble and plus the organizations love it when you um when you work really hard for them they'll work really hard for you in the end yeah i would say one of the best lessons i learned about humility and honesty and integrity as um, a leader was back because i was in the fashion industry for many years and actually worked my way into the buying office for quite a few big corporations and at the time i was actually working for fredericks of hollywood and I was there as an assistant buyer. I was like a year out of college. Um, and we had a marketing manager who was over all the buyers. And then she, of course, she's reported to the um, VP and president of the company. And I was, we had a conference and we called the war room because that's, you know, where we'd battle out like what items we wanted for, you know, the new catalog and, you know, lines out in the store and stuff. And so I was cutting out pictures of the merchandise and putting price points on um, what we believe we could sell something for and kind of what the trends are and all that kind of stuff. And um, 
Martha came walking in, sat down, picked up a, a, some scissors. I mean, this woman's like three levels above me <laughs> and starts getting out pictures with me. And I looked at her, I'm like, um, Martha, you don't need to be doing this if you have a meeting or something. I mean, that's, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm an assistant. I'm here to learn. And she looked at me, she's like, if I'm above sitting here cutting out pictures, I should not be in my position. And I, that mm-hmm. has stuck with me since I was 20 years old. I have never forgotten that to this day. And I thought that was like Absolutely. such an amazing thing to like have her say to me. Cause I mean, it ricocheted with me, like, because it was really, I mean, especially in your twenties, it's so easy to become cocky and think, well, I've, you know, I've made it this far, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a CEO of a company one day and just get that cocky <laughs> attitude. And it, it, it mm-hmm. I realized like I should never do a job or assign somebody, a, I should never assign somebody a job that I feel I'm above ever. If I can't do it, then I should never ask somebody else to do it. And I feel like you learn a lot of that with volunteering. At least I feel like when I was volunteering, when I got into writing, that it helped me make sure that I learned those things early on. So when I moved into other positions of of help or leadership, that I never felt like I was asking somebody to do something I wasn't doing or hadn't done myself. Oh, man. I love that story. That's such a great – that's uh, the quintessential piece to it, right? Even – uh, when I was at our last conference, the League of Utah Writers 12 conference, I'm in the executive committee. I'm mm-hmm. in there helping run the conference, but uh, the volunteers are like, hey, we need somebody to come, you know, uh, open this tent, or we need somebody to stand here and just take tickets. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. You need an extra body, and I'm not doing something that moment. Let me get over there. Let me make sure this is taken care of, you know, because that, that's what I'm there for. I'm there to serve. And no matter the role. And that's what I, I love that story because um, it, it really resonates with the, um, in order to be a good leader, you've got to be uh, willing to follow and, and work with the people that you're going to lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just recently I was at this um, this golf tournament, the Jimmer Fredette family golf tournament, and their uh, volunteer organizer for that, Lauren Hatchett, she was like, so tell me about all the stuff that you do. And I told her, she's like, why are you here? <laughs> like, why are you volunteering as a, as a general volunteer for this? I'm like, because I know that you need volunteers and I can be of service. I know what I'm doing and, and I can help any way that you need me. She's like, and that's what she kept praising. Like, you're so easy to work with and you're willing to do whatever. Like, I could ask mm-hmm. you to go get big post holes. She didn't ask me to do that, but she's like, I feel like I could ask you to do anything, and you would go and do it. I'm like, yes, if it needs to get done. Um, and plus, it, on top of keeping that, that um, perspective and humility, it keeps you grounded. And so I do recommend yeah. that for everybody to, to take that opportunity, even if you're in a leadership spot, or um, to, to just take a moment and do some of those extra, spend those extra moments. It's such a good tool. Yeah, and I, I agree. So what would you say, and I don't know, maybe it's something like I had in my early life, or maybe it's been multiple things that um, you feel has prepared you to be in these leadership roles and, and help, would you say was probably like, even if like you can even pinpoint like one moment in time where you're like, aha, that's, that's the type of person I want to be. And from there, it just kind of, you know, springed you down down the, the line? That's, that's a great question. 
I don't know how, if I have a, a great answer for it. But what I did was growing up, I was really fortunate. Like I had some some of the most amazing friends growing up, super supportive. And I got to do and hang out with so many cool people. But they always kind of let me influence what we were going to do next. You know, um, mm-hmm. the neighbor down the street got the new Nintendo. I know I'm dating myself, but, you know, they got the new <laughs> Nintendo. You know, let's go play at his house. Or we played there yesterday. Let's go play at uh, one of our other friends' houses, got a Commodore 64. Uh, people probably don't even know what that is anymore. But, you know, like, I was very fortunate. Let me, let me kind of lead the group. And then when I, in the middle of my junior year, I ended up moving uh, from Phoenix to Snowflake, Arizona. And I found these amazing friends up in Snowflake, Arizona. And they already had well lifelong established friendships and they mm-hmm. accepted me and brought me in and I was just happy to have friends but they valued my opinion so much and then I got to do more with them and then, and then after a while they're like hey what should we do next and, the, and that was so much fun getting to hang out with some of the most amazing people and then getting to uh, work with them and then get to play with them and then, and then that really influenced me when I moved into the corporate sphere right when I started doing work um, I just took those same things, just happy to be here, willing to do whatever. And then that people wanted to promote that. People wanted to put you in more responsible positions. And I just mm-hmm. found myself naturally being moved into uh, each position higher and higher. Um, and then in, in the long view, it's so funny. I've had such a wide range of careers in my life. I worked back, I worked at Circuit City back in the day. Uh <laughs> Another one of those ancient uh, companies. I worked in city, and then I then I worked for uh, the airport doing security just before the TSA took over for the 2002 Olympics. Then I worked for you know Walmart. I worked for all these all these different companies, and each one added an extra piece into teaching me a best practice to be a leader. Um, mm-hmm. But it was really um, one of my favorite stories was uh, when I went to Fanex and I was on a panel. Uh, my very first panel, and uh, it, it, I was super intimidated because it had Dan Wells, Larry Korea, and it had um, Johnny Worthen, and Natalie Whipple, and Dan Willis, and I'm sitting there <laughs> on the end with like <laughs> two books published, and every you know everybody over there is like award winning or New York Times bestseller, and I'm yeah. like I'm just happy to be on this panel, but when it ended. Uh, Johnny turned to me and goes, hey, have you ever heard of the League of Utah Writers? I'm like, no, never heard of it. And then that night, of course, I looked it up. But the next day, I was preparing for a panel. And he came over, and uh, he saw that I was preparing for another panel, and I looked kind of frazzled. And he, he came over to me, and he put his arm around me, and he said, Jared, how are you doing? He said, uh, what, what's your next panel? And I told him it was you know, overcoming um, bad writing habits. He's like, oh, we'll do this and talk about this. And, and then I went in there, and I did an amazing job at that panel. I thought, if that's what the League of Utah Writers is, then I've got to be a part of it. And then when I went, showed up to a chapter, I showed up to a chapter, and their, their president had to step down for health reasons, so their vice president was taking over. Um, they're like, hey, we need a new vice president. And I'm like, well, I don't know these people. <laughs> they don't know me. I'm like, that's too bad for whoever the new vice president is. And, and I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I just kept thinking, 
why am I here? You know, what's what's my purpose for for being here? Um, developing my writing, of course. I really want to be a better writer, but it was because I really wanted to be like like Johnny. I really wanted to be more of an influence in the community. And I texted my wife and I said, they need a spot. They have a spot open, but I'm too busy, right? We have five kids. I'm working full time. I'm way too busy. And that's why I said my wife had the vision before I did, because she said, no, this is a great opportunity for you. (laughs) I'm like, oh, boy. So I just sent an email to the president, uh, and I attached my LinkedIn uh, link. And then when the meeting ended, she ran over to me, and she goes, she goes, Jared, you're the new vice president of the chapter. I'm like, you don't even know who I am. <laughs> I could, I said, I could, I could be some crazed person. I could be like a serial killer. And she goes, we're writers. We're all serial killers. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that put things into a different perspective. But that's when I realized, as soon as I had my first opportunity to lead inside a nonprofit, that's when I realized that all the tools that had built up from you know, um, getting with amazing friends to the different corporate environments where they kept promoting me and putting me more responsibility had suddenly added up into the, a full skill set that I could deploy and use. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that I had it really. Um, and that's why I tell people, I said, you don't really know what you have until you kind of try it out. <laughs> that's why I yeah. tell people to volunteer, but start small. <laughs> you know, don't jump into the don't jump into the heart of a fire and then expect to come out uh, unsinged. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> but, and, um, well, and, and well, here, and here's something else. Cause you, I, you, and I know you've heard it too, cause we've all heard this, that some people are born to lead. Some people are born to follow. Um, yeah. You can learn leadership mm-hmm. skills, but you know, there, there, there's just certain people who are born, born leaders. And I semi agree with that because I think there's people who just have personalities like yourself that just, it, it feels very natural for you to be in those positions, like from an out, from someone looking from the outside, you know, I mean, I'm sure you're going like, no, I don't feel like that half the time, but you know, from an outsider, you know, we look at somebody like you and think, wow, you know, you just got that natural ability. You just seem so comfortable doing it. And I think that's where, that's why I say I kind of agree with it, but I think a lot of it is, I think, the outlook on how you look at things. Am I wrong in that thought process? No, I, I think you're spot on. I think you're, I think you're spot on. It's um, one of my favorite uh, quotes is from Jerry Rice, who, of course, is a wide receiver for the 49ers. And he said, I wasn't the best. I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the strongest. You know, I just worked really hard. And I, and I believe that when, when watching him, he wasn't the tallest guy playing football. He wasn't the biggest guy playing football. But he's one of the greatest players in all of history of football because he worked really hard. I do believe that, that it's true that some, some of us come with, like, a natural skill set, some natural personality. But I do feel, you know, um, that, that there's um, things to be brought to the table for leadership from people who don't naturally have the skill set or – they have the skill set, but their personality doesn't seem the normal type. I think that they have some amazing uh, things to bring to leadership that can be either taught or refined. Uh, or it's about, you know, people in it who don't have, like, the, the personality that feel like they can lead. It's, that they, it's not that they can't lead. They really can do a, a tremendous job. But it's really 
making sure that they have the right personnel around them to support and, and uh, reinforce them. But I really do feel like anybody can be taught into it. But I think that mm-hmm. just out of the blue, there's people that are, are, are natural. Like you said, I think people just kind of have that skill set, but I think the skill set can be taught to people. And I feel like people, anybody could be a, a leader. And of course, like I said earlier, I think the best leaders are the ones who figure out the best, uh, to be the best followers, you know, willing to be that, that humble follower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I definitely feel like um, in every position I've been in, and I, I probably have a lot of coworkers and, and family, my husband especially, who, um, and they like to tell me, like, well, you're just an alpha. You just, you, you can't follow. You can only lead, and, and you have a hard time just sitting back. And I'm like, well, yeah, because, I mean, an, an A-type personality tends to look at, every, you know, small picture, big picture consistently, and we bounce mentally in and out of out of that kind of thing. Um, and because we tend to have a little bit of a stronger personality type, I think people just assume that you can only lead. But I find that I learn more when I take a step back and watch other people because it helps me refine and even helps me, I think, not set the bar too hard because, or too, not hard, too high. Um, Cause I know sometimes leaders, we can have really high expectations um, and what we expect out of those around us. And if we don't take that step back and try and put ourselves in at their perspective and, you know, and, and in their shoes and what they're dealing with, we don't understand maybe why they're not reaching the expectation bar we've set, but they're reaching a higher bar than they thought they could reach. Right. Have you, have you seen that when you've been in positions with, you know, especially with more dominant personality yeah. types? <laughs> yes. It's, it's kind of funny. Um, this, uh, this experience I had uh, years ago now, I was sitting at uh, one of our, uh, one of the league of Utah writers conferences and I was talking with one of our presenters and she was talking about getting more involved in the organization and doing more, but she's like, I'm not, I'm not uh, a leader. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot. I just want to help out. And I'm like, after talking with her, I could tell that she had so much to contribute besides passion. She wanted to make sure she does things right, which I love. I'd rather have somebody who who wants to get it done right and be slower mm-hmm. than somebody who doesn't care, uh, but, you know, gets things done quickly, uh, but does it messy. Uh, mm-hmm. And when I talked to her, um, this fantastic woman, her name's Rachel, and I convinced her to um, to move into a position that she was incredibly uncomfortable with, the marketing chair of the League of Utah Writers. Oh, wow. I'm not a marketing <laughs> person, right? I mean, that's not a small spot, right? That's a lot no. of responsibility. And, uh, and there, can, there can be a lot of pressure. But what I told her was, I said my expectation for her was to just do what she does, to, to try and get it done right, to do the best that she can. I said that's all I can ask, and, and I would expect that from myself. And I told her that whatever support or resources that she needed, like I would be there. Like I would always um, be there to support her, answer questions, give her more resources, anything that she needed. So mm-hmm. I really felt like she had the this, this skill set in there. And she very reluctantly accepted. <laughs> no, 
I'm certain she regretted it. Uh, <laughs> she may still regret it. No, but um, now fast forward a couple of years, uh, and she's still the marketing chair, um, and she's a remarkable marketing chair. Not only has she done more with that position uh, than we've been able to in a while, uh, partially because of the, the different resources she's been able to seek out. She's been able to be on um, on Channel 4. She's been able to do these press releases to get us on Channel 2. We got coverage on Fox 13. You know, the Tribune covered us. Uh, all of these amazing things. And not that past marketing chairs couldn't do it. I, I really feel like people have that in them. But I just felt like in, in her instance, we had a need. I really felt she had the skill set, and she's grown into this amazing um, position, and she's the president of her chapter, and she does such a remarkable job. Uh, I'm super grateful that she accepted the position because not only was it a, a great need for us, but I just I really felt like she was something special, like she could grow into it. I could. That's one of my favorite things is kind of picking those potentials, and you've seen it. I'm sure you've seen this before too, where somebody you know that they've got a potential in a particular area but they're very reluctant because we all get that, that syndrome where we feel like we're fakers, right? Like we're the imposter syndrome. I mean, even leading uh, groups now, like I, I still get that in my chest, even though I'm leading and I'm doing a good job. I, am I an imposter? <laughs> you know, and, and people are reluctant to step forward and volunteer into those spots. But then when they get in there and they grow and they become this amazing uh, thing, I mean, it's so amazing to see. And I love seeing them when people uh, step into those. That's one of my favorite things to do, and people know this. The people who are closest to me, they know that I, that's one of my skill sets is convincing them to step into a role that they're uncomfortable with. But they also know that uh, it's a role that, that they'll be successful at, partially because, I, you know, I see the skill set in them but partially because they know I'm going to give them all the support that I possibly can as a leader. Are you still there, Jared? Yes. 
That was weird. So I don't know what happened. So I apologize to you and to our audience, but we got just, it's never happened in our studio before, but it literally, our systems froze. <laughs> oh. Yes, yeah, so I had no audio. I had no nothing. I was like, I'm like looking around, going, um, what's going on? Yeah, completely. We were completely locked out of the system all of a sudden. So sorry about oh, that. <laughs> I'm sure you said some no awesome worries. things that I completely missed. <laughs> that's no like worries. a new one for. Yeah, that's like a total new one for us. It's never happened before. Wow. Um. So yeah, I guess we're gonna be letting IT know that they need to do some work on that. Um, <laughs> out of all the years, I think, gosh, I want to say Marcia and I have been doing stuff here on Blog Talk Radio on, on our network for, well, 10 years, oh my gosh. And every so often, like, we get a curveball thrown at us, so <laughs> this is the one, and we all scrambled, so <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if maybe you hit on this when you were talking because I may have you may have and I missed it when my whole audio went down. But um, one of the other things that um, I have come across as working with leaders is there are leaders who um, sometimes don't take in consideration the feelings of other people. Like they they've got their focus. They have their vision on what they expect. They just, you know, everybody should just get on board and march along. And the next, you know, they turn mm-hmm. on those behind them and everybody's kind of like low morale. They believed in the vision mm-hmm. originally, but because their feelings weren't being taken into account, um, you know, they feel kind of underrated. What, what mm-hmm. would you say to somebody who's experiencing that as a leader? That's, you know, um, that's such a good question because I think there's uh, so many fine lines in there, right, um, between expectation and hopes and, and vision and potentials. And um, it's, it's so hard to judge when's the right time to push somebody, when's the right time to back off, when's the right time to, to lend support. Um, because I've been in, in multiple situations where I thought, Okay, this person's not coming along with us because they didn't have this. They didn't have the uh, the resources. So I reached out to them and said, "Hey, I can give you these extra resources if you need them." And they really felt like um, <laughs> they felt like I was doing that because I wanted to replace them because I wanted to. I felt like they weren't doing a good job, and it wasn't that wasn't mm-hmm. the case. I just felt like they needed more resources, and it was it was partially because I had failed um, to communicate properly with them to make sure that we were on the same page at the same time like they weren't communicating with me what was going on like what they were thinking and so it could be really tough to know when the right time to do things um, with with somebody because especially in the now in the corporate world it's it's uh, much tougher because like the mandate is driven by the company <laughs> everybody has, mm-hmm. to, has to march that direction because you get paid to march that direction in the nonprofit world you're just happy people are there volunteering their time and efforts and energy away from their families and their careers uh, to come help you with this, this project. It can be so tough to, um, because you do have that vision and you want everybody and you're so passionate. And when somebody's not coming along, you want to make sure 
we're caught up. So I really, I tell people um, the best thing, the number one thing is if, is to always have as many uh, one-on-one conversations with people uh, on your boards and leadership and even just general volunteers as, as you can fit in uh, when, when possible. I think there's that extra moment away from a group, somebody can then express their concerns. You know, they might be like, I I don't think I, I see where we're going with this. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Or, um, or they're like, hey, like, I feel like now this position is bigger than what I, I am. I can't do this. And then you can have that, that discussion. Okay, well, what can we do? You know, do you, do you want out because... Because you know people are can burn out, and you don't want to make them feel guilty for leaving a position if they need personal time, because people just right. do, and I totally respect that. But it's that one-on-one conversation with people uh, individually, away from the big meetings, the big committee meetings, the big email chains. It's that that interaction uh, face-to-face where where you could say uh, you could say what you're feeling. Hey, I feel like I feel like this is what we're doing. We're doing this grander thing. What are your thoughts? And getting what their feelings are that will help solve, or at least help you figure out what's going on uh, in the group as a whole, and keep them all on the same page. Um, but sometimes people just will never be on the same page. Some people will volunteer and work really hard and be good at what they do, but they they just don't catch the vision. They don't understand what you're doing. They don't get it. And it can be really tough to keep them on staff. If they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, but don't share the same vision, but they're not complaining, they're not causing dissent, then I, I'm okay with that. You know what? People need to have that diversity instead of an echo chamber of just say yes to me and I'll be happy with you. If they're doing an amazing job, I'm never going to suggest replacing somebody. But if somebody's really frustrated and really um, going through emotional stuff in life, if they're if they're struggling with where things are going and you have the discussion and they're like, I just don't get it. And, and, and their performance is suffering and it's causing suffering around them. Then sometimes it's time as a leader to say, okay, I love and appreciate everything that you've done, but I really feel like it's time for us to, to go a different direction with this position. And that's the hardest thing. That's the hardest is to let go somebody who's in a vital position who's been in that position for years and you want to let them know that you absolutely love them. Your decision to, to take them off was a decision that didn't, doesn't come lightly. And there's a lot going on and it's not easy and neither is there, neither is life. And we're just trying to, to think of them and the organization at the same time. We're trying to keep both happy and healthy because either one suffering doesn't do anybody any good. Um, so yeah, yeah, it could be a, that's a tough one. That's really tough. <laughs> it, it is tough. Well, and here's here's another tough one for you. So, and it maybe and I thought of this when you were talking about um, the lady that was like, oh my gosh, okay, you're gonna put me in this marketing position for the League of Utah Rares, which is a huge job to to take on, uh-huh. especially if you don't feel comfortable marketing. So you're a leader, or you've now been put, or you don't consider consider. Let me rephrase it. You don't consider yourself a leader, but now you've been been put in this leadership type position, um, and you're looking around, and you're like, I really feel like I'm lacking the qualifications to do this job, even though these other people believe in me and put me in there. What is what? What are some of the tools that 
someone in that kind of position can do to make them successful in in completing the you know this job that they've been tasked with? Yes, great. That's a phenomenal question because uh, because we just do we suffer from. I mean, uh, at some point, everybody in some situation feels like they suffer from the imposter syndrome. Um, that they're they're not supposed to be there. They don't have the qualifications. They don't. They're they're not in the right position to to do what's best. And in that situation, and yeah, when I when I um, started moving up, when I got into the League of Utah Writers, and I was the president elect of the organization, uh, which it's kind of funny. I really originally had not intended uh, to be the president of the organization, and it wasn't on a, a on a five year plan. Actually, it was a no plan <laughs> to, to lead the organization. <laughs> so I was shocked. I was shocked when I got the email that said, hey, we would really love for you to consider being a nominee for president-elect of the League of Utah Writers, to lead the League of Utah Writers. And I said, and, and I wrote out this amazing email that said, I'm, I appreciate it, but I'm, I'm far too busy. I don't know that I have the ability to, to lead an organization like the League of Utah Writers, you know, I I think it's great what you do. I absolutely support it. Like, I wrote this fantastic email. And mm-hmm. uh, like all writers, I needed an editor, and my wife is my editor. I'm like, hey, can you just edit this to make sure I don't sound awful? <laughs> so she said, that's, that's cool. And I went to go get a drink, and I came back, and she goes, I edited it, and I sent it off for you. I'm like, Excellent. And so I sat down, and like all writers, I want to see what she edited in my work. And when I put right. the email, it was changed from, I can't do this, to absolutely, I love this. It's an unbelievable opportunity. <laughs> and I my life, and I'm like, I'm like, shouldn't we have talked about this before, before this happened? So, like, so legitimately, I, I felt positive that I didn't have the skill set or the ability to do it. Uh, but my wife, who absolutely had confidence in me, after we talked about the email, and she's like, look, look at what you've accomplished so far. Look at these things that you've done. And that's really that really helped me at least go, okay, I'll give it a minute to see if I don't crash and burn. But even then, going into the organization, being in the leadership, feeling inadequate, I'm like, what can I do to strengthen this so that I don't let everybody down? And so the very mm-hmm. first thing I did was I went to every single chapter of the league at the time. I visited each one, and I sat down with them, and I said, what are we doing right? What can we be doing better? And what do you expect out of me? And it was an amazing conversation with each of the chapters. Um, they told me exactly what they wanted to see, where they wanted to see the organization go, you know, what they wanted me to do. And that actually helped refine it because my brain was thinking the job was like a thousand times bigger than what the expectations were. And that helped me go, okay, I know where I need to focus, what skill set, what resources I needed to focus on developing. And some of that was me watching a lot of TED Talks, which that's why I'm super honored to be on the TED Talks board here in Salt Lake. I was like, oh, freaking out. But because I've watched like a million of those. Uh, watched a million <laughs> YouTube videos, read a lot of books, um, you know, asked a lot of leaders that have been in the organization for a long time, past presidents, you know, what can I do better here? How can I improve this? 
and just having the, the willingness to to learn and accept that you don't have all the skills and go out and invest mm-hmm. time into developing skills that, that are lacking, I think that's, that's the key to transitioning from a leader who is absolutely feeling like they don't qualify and their wife volunteered them <laughs> to, to being one that um, some are saying are successful. I'm hoping I'm a, I was actually successful as a leader. But, like, to, to doing so well that other organizations were like, hey, Jared, we would love – we see what you've done over there. We would love for you to be a part of our board because we need that. You know, like, that's, yeah. that's a big difference. And that was amazing to be a part of this ride. So many amazing people to work with. Well, honestly, it sounds like – because I've heard you say amazing people. It sounds like you surrounding yourself by the right kinds of people to – help you where you're weak, you know, has been key to a lot of, a lot of your success too, where they've helped give you that confidence, um, give you those, you know, tools, pass on what they've learned um, to help strengthen what you've done. Um, and, and, and you are still doing, I mean, I don't want our listeners to get me wrong. I mean, you're still very active and, and very committed to, to this community. Um and, and I think that's that's so great. Um, while we are getting to the top of our hour, is there any mm-hmm. final um, thing you know message that you'd like to leave with the listeners today on on leadership and and volunteering and just being a part of this great community? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, first and foremost, I'm just grateful for that for the opportunities that I've been given. I'm grateful that people had faith in me from Mendel Zader to Chris Miller. Like those people, like they're the ones who elected me to, to be in the, the league. They saw the potential that my wife saw. And people see that potential in you. And no matter who you are, you have the potential of amazing things, even though you might not think it. And some of you that think that you do have it, you do have it. However, you need to work on it more if you think you've got it already. <laughs> the thing is, you know, um, it's, a, it's a go in. And just try to be as grateful and humble as you can be and realize that people are human and know that everything that you put in, it, it comes back to you. You know, um, for people, even if you don't believe in, in, like, karma, like, good things that you put in, you invest in people and the world, it's returned to me, you know. It's rewarded me for every minute that I've spent working on all of the projects. It's not gone uh, unnoticed or unrewarded. And I didn't ask for reward. I didn't jump into this for that. But just know that when you invest, it invests in you. Like the world and people will invest in you. And to be honest, we need more people. We need more leaders. And we need more people to volunteer uh, because they're our most invaluable resource. Uh, There was a great quote that said, if you really want to change the world, then then volunteer. (laughs) Because you can accomplish anything, both change and uh, and development. And uh, just the last thing, I always I, I, I got this quote. One of my former bosses had it, and it's also an a- African quote. It said, "If you want to go far, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together." So, you know, um, I would love to go together with anybody who wants to, and I'm more than happy to help out. But I think everybody out there has such a tremendous potential. And I'm, I'm just grateful to be here. 
No, I'm, we're grateful to have you on the show and to share that with us. Can you let listeners know where they can find you online so they can learn more about you, about your books, and, and what you're involved with? Absolutely. So you can go to jaredquan.com. You can also email me at jaredquan at gmail. I make it simple. <laughs> uh, you can uh, find uh, some of my books on Big World Network site, uh, Changing Wax, which is one of my most popular books. It's going to audiobooks. I'm excited about that. You can also find me at the League of Utah Writers, TEDx Salt Lake, UVU Book Academy, Storymakers, uh, all these organizations, plus, of course, Fanex and LTUE. So there's, you know, it's, it's you know, hard to find me. Uh, but <laughs> I'm out there, and you can find me on any of those websites or any of those places. Um, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to work with anybody out there. All right. And, of course, you can always contact us here. Um, at Michigan Avenue Media on Blog Talk Radio, and we can also share that information with you too. So if you want to reach out, and I want to say, isn't um, Fan X getting ready to start up too for fall? So they actually just barely had theirs. It's going to happen okay. again next September. Okay. So because I want to say I thought it was more October. So they're doing it in September now. So that's that's how out, that's how out of the loop I've been in like in my own little <laughs> bubble. <laughs> no I'm like they, when it changed to Fanex, I was like, oh, when? Yeah, well, when it changed from from the Comic Con to Fanex too, I was like, wait, when when did that change happen? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. But I do have to tell people if you're out if you're out in Salt Lake when Fanex is going on, it is an amazing thing to go see there at the Salt Palace. It's still at Salt Palace, right? Yep, it is. It takes the entire place up, and sometimes the, yeah, the Vivint Smart Home Arena also. Wow. <laughs> it's it's I think San Diego is going to have a run for their money with with how much it is growing. <laughs> Cuz the yeah, San Diego Comic-Con sure. is like huge and I think I think that is definitely like the goal with with the Fan X is to to get as to get bit probably bigger <laughs> than San yep, Diego's exactly. version. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been great having you on here, Jared, and talking with you. Um, I, like I was telling you before the show, I'm definitely planning on getting more involved. So hopefully we'll get to see each other in person and finally get to meet that way. Um, but thanks, thanks for sharing all that great information. I really, really appreciate it. And we will probably have you come back on because I know you've got a lot you can share and talk with us about. So thank you so much for taking that time with us. Yeah, thank you so much. I'd be more than happy to come to our <laughs> All right. And then I just want to let our listeners know that Marsha Casper-Cook has a couple of shows coming up over the next few days, so definitely come back and tune in here um, at Michigan Avenue Media. You can come to Blog Talk Radio, of course, and if you click on um, our show schedule, you'll see what day and time she has those. Usually she does them about um, – around um, 11 or 1 Central is generally when she tries to do her shows. And uh, Marsha and I are still talking about doing a couple of shows together like we used to do. So just kind of be on the lookout for those. And thank you for listening and have a great day. Bye.